Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Well, this morning, before we kick off into the sermon, I want to tell you uh, just a little story. It was, it was about a month ago now that I got to go fishing with some of my closest friends uh, up at Metal Ark in the Bighorns, one of my favorite places to go. And it was awesome, besides the fact that I caught zero fish. Uh, <laughs> I, I love going to go fishing. You know, Jesus talked about a lot of ministry that he did while fishing. So I figured, hey, if Jesus goes fishing a lot, it's probably safe if I pick that hobby up too, right? I could do a lot of ministry while fishing. And so we get up there, but I tell you, every time I get to go fishing, I always think of some portion of scripture where Jesus was out there fishing or where he was talking to people. And, and the one that came to my mind, that came to my heart this time was Matthew four nineteen. And Rhea, I forgot my clicker. Would you help me out this morning? Thank you so much. Uh, Matthew four nineteen popped into my head and it says this, this is Jesus talking here. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's the one that popped in my head. And, and the dudes after this, what they did was they just dropped their nets. And they started immediately following Jesus because they saw they had a second chance in life. Well, me being really good at not catching fish that day because I, I tell you, I wasn't catching anything. I don't know what was going on. But some of the other guys were doing pretty good. Uh, John was doing good. Uh, but I tell you, my, my buddy Rylan, he hasn't fished in a long time. And all of a sudden, he just decides to throw his pole out there. And this is uh, the first thing that he catches here is a big, oh, we showed the wrong one. No, I'm just kidding. We were all a little jealous of the fish that Rylan caught, so we started making memes and pictures and just making fun of him a little bit, but we've never seen anyone so happy to catch a pizza. Paul, thank you so much. Never seen anyone so happy to catch a pizza, but no, and really and truly, there's the whopper that he caught, and like I said, he hadn't been fishing in forever, didn't even bring his own fishing gear, and this is what he gets. This is what he pulls out one day, and then the next day, pulls out a rainbow trout about the same size, so we were pretty happy for him, right? Um, but I got to tell you, after he caught this fish, we were all a little nervous because we just hear this big down in the distance. Woo! We hear that thing. And, and most of us, well, we were just shocked to learn that Rylan had an outside voice. He's so quiet and reserved all the time. We had no idea that he had an outside voice, let alone that, that he was deep inside. He's a woo girl. We just didn't know he had that woo built up in him. But no, we go, we go back to, we, we celebrate Rylan. We're like, hey, good job, man. We, you know, take this picture, of course, and, and then make fun of him for catching a pizza later. And, and we had a really good time doing that. But about 9 p.m. rolls around. And so it's starting to get dusk up there in the mountains. 
And we start walking back, and, and I'm, I'm further down the trail, and Ryland's there, and he's still fishing. He's still going at it. And I get closer to him. I said, Ryland, are you, are you ready to pack up? Let's, let's head back. It's starting to get late. He's like, nah, man, I need one more. I need just one more fish. But it was kind of the one more that, you know, if he caught one more, then he would still need one more. And if he caught one more of those, then he'd need one more of those. Yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. But as he said that, something just smacked me. And I know that it was God talking to my heart at that time. Because as I had Matthew 4.19 in my heart and in my mind, and then I have these words that are riling or saying, like, just one more. I want just one more. God started asking me, how many of us in life are fishing for men like Ryland was fishing for these fish? How many of us are fishing for one more person to turn and follow Jesus. If we are called now to be fishers of men, then how many of us are out there casting, saying, I want one more for Jesus, just one more for Jesus. So God reminded me that his heart for the one more is huge. And a big part of what it means for us to be Christians and to be a part of the mission, it's the same mission that Jesus Christ was on, was that he came to seek and to save the lost, that he came to seek and to save the one more. It doesn't have to be in droves of tens of thousands. That's really cool when that happens. Don't get me wrong. But even if we just have one more at a time, that is a great way to be living our lives. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to camp out in Luke chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 15. And what's going to happen here is Jesus is going to share three parables to illustrate the heart of God's love and his relentless pursuit for the lost and the broken. And through these parables, a common thread is going to emerge, this idea of finding the one more, but also rejoicing over the one more because at one point every one of us in here has been one more at some point maybe you are still the one more today and so what we're going to look at is this theme and then we're going to challenge ourselves and we're going to ask this question who is our one more and if you have a bulletin if you grabbed one of those uh Brittany put that in in there for us so that we could just remember you have something to take with you today just to remember who is your one more so like I said, Jesus is going to tell these three stories. It's going to be back to back to back. There's going to be no transitions at all. It's going to be like a Quentin Tarantino movie, okay? He's going to go from one thing to another thing. You're going to be a little confused for a minute, but it just shifts one to another, and there's no explanation. And these three stories, like I said, they're really just one story with one main point from three different angles. And to understand them, though, we first have to understand the context from which Jesus shared these stories. And we get that by starting right in verse 1. So you guys who have heard me preach before, you know how I like to do this. We just cook through the Bible and we start going verse by verse through this thing. So we're going to kick off in verse 1 here. And it says this, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. All right, stop right there. If you were a first century Jew and you heard that people were approaching him, you see tax collectors and sinners coming toward Jesus, you'd let out a big, oh, not tax collectors, not sinners, oh my. 
It's really hard to understand this today because we know that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that while we were still sinners, though, is when Christ came and died for us. Yeah, we know that about us today. But back then, sinners were people who were the lowest of the low of the low. They had this ill reputation about themselves. And they had certain categories. I think some of us still do this today. We have these certain categories of sin that make you worse than the other. And, oh, this is this kind of sinner. And so he shouldn't approach Jesus. That's just, that's just crazy. But then we also have these people mentioned here called tax collectors. Right? These guys were sleazy. Right? It's not like maybe you owed $20 here and then they took $30 so they could line their pocket with 10 bucks. No, tax collectors in the first century, they actually paid the Roman government to take up to 90% of household incomes from their Jewish brothers and sisters. To take to the Roman government, they would take that money then to the Roman government, and then the Roman government would use the funds from that to terrorize the Jewish people. Think about that for just for a minute. If you were a regular dude in Jerusalem, that means that you probably would have known someone who was jailed, who was beaten, or who was even crucified by the Roman government, and now one of your relatives, maybe your dad, maybe your son, just to make some money, purchased the right to take taxes from you to pay for your people to be terrorized. That was a tax collector in the first century here. Pretty rough to be a tax collector at that point. Verse 2, though, shows us that we have this other group of people who have come to listen to Jesus talk. It says the Pharisees and the scribes, right? These were the religious folk. These were the people who uh, grew up in Sunday school. They were the people this morning who I said, hey, turn your Bibles to Luke 15. They're like, oh, that's the prodigal son. I totally know that one. Uh, you can't teach me anything about the prodigal son. I've already heard this one a thousand times. That's what these religious people would have been like. right? These people, they show up, which is actually really cool if you think about it. Because it shows us that Jesus really and truly is for everyone. Because if these Pharisees and these tax collectors, or I'm sorry, these Pharisees and scribes are showing up, these religious people, but also these rebellious people, these sinners and tax collectors, that shows us that no matter what we've done, no matter what we did or even how bad we think we are, that Jesus is for you. He is for everyone. And he has something better for you today. One of the things that blows me away, though, was that Jesus had just got done preaching this message out of Luke chapter 14 that would have been extremely difficult to hear. He says things like, hey, you got to deny your mom and your dad. You have to pick up your cross and die to yourself just to follow me. Right? That's not your typical feel-good message. And people were kind of like, well, I can't believe he would say something like that. And what they do is they go find about six other people and they say, hey, you got to come follow this Jesus guy. He says some of the craziest stuff. And it's awesome. Even though he had said these things that were hard for people to hear, he knew that they needed to hear it because it was the truth. And people need to hear the truth. He knew in their hearts that they needed that. And now, in these parables, he is going to address, again, both of these crowds to not have worldly vision, but to have kingdom vision and to have a biblical worldview. 
He's going to tell the sinners and the tax collectors, hey, you guys don't have to live like this. You are valuable to God. You are valuable to him. And then he's going to tell the religious people, he says, you need salvation just as much as the filthy sinners and filthy tax collectors do. You don't have it figured out as much as you think you do. You know, my grandpa, uh, his name was Nick. He owned a alignment shop in Arizona uh, for a long time, probably 20, 30 years he owned that down there. And a lot of the areas in Arizona, people like to go off-roading, right? They like to go find the desert, go and find all the potholes, the stuff that I usually avoid so I don't hurt my back, right? They like to find that stuff down there and run through these holes and they'll get back on the road and all of a sudden their vehicles are out of alignment. They're not going straight anymore, right? These, these things, after they go off-roading, after they go bahaing, they get locked out of alignment and Pop would have to get in there and put these things back on track so that they would stay where they needed to be. You know, today you and I as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we do not naturally stay in alignment Right? What happens in this world is it knocks us out of alignment. We have the tendency to just let go of the wheel, and then naturally that wheel starts to turn left or to the right. It doesn't stay on track. You know, sometimes we tend to swerve towards self-centeredness, right? I do what I want, when I want, with who I want, and nobody else can tell me anything to do. Or the other side of it would be the self-sufficiency side. Like, God, yeah, thanks that you're there, but... I'm doing all the rituals, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I really don't need you. And these are the people that Jesus is talking to today. Like I said, the religious and the rebellious. These are the people that he is addressing. And then at the end of verse 2, it says, And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus, what he starts doing is teaching them a valuable lesson. And he gives us our first point, which is the lost sheep, right? He leaves the 99 for just one more. Let's see what it says. He leaves 99 for just one more. And so he, that's Jesus, he tells them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open field and what's that next word? Yeah, I wasn't looking for you to whisper it. I was looking for more crowd participation this morning. Yeah, what, what is he looking for us to do? Go. To go, to go. He wants us to go after. If you got your Bibles, underline that part this morning. Who wouldn't leave and go after the lost one until he finds it? Just like we sing today, Jesus leaves the 99 to go after the one. Jesus left the amazingness known as heaven to put on human flesh and is now running after the one sheep who has gone away from the flock. This is the character, the mission, and the nature of God. So if we are Jesus followers this morning, we should care about what he cares about, right? And that's people. Which means that we also need to go. We need to go into this world, not to be of it, but to bring people closer to God by being in the world and showing them the love of Christ that has transformed us today. Well, then he goes on in verse 5 and 6. And it says, when he, that's the shepherd, has found it, the sheep, he joyfully 
not begrudgingly, not angrily, no, joyfully puts that sheep on his shoulders. I think there's a lot in there to talk about what the shepherd puts on his shoulders. Because what did our shepherd put on his shoulders? It was a cross. He put a wooden cross on his shoulders. Not, or for not only did he go out and find us, but he himself became the lamb to be sacrificed for us so that we could have a spot in the flock with him. Well, let's keep going. It says, and, and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, rejoice with me. Because I have found my lost sheep, and he celebrates, and he throws a party. What's, what's the point on this portion? I believe it's that we, we celebrate what we value. We celebrate what we value. The shepherd here, he values his sheep. And if Jesus is the shepherd and we are the sheep, then Jesus values you. He values people. And if Jesus values people coming to him, oh boy, then so should we. We should value when people come to him. You know, when I was a kid, uh, I, I went through what's called a, a catechism class. I went through confirmation. And what they do is they teach you a lot about the Bible. They teach you church history. They teach you about Jesus. It, it was great. I, I learned all sorts of stuff, but it was in a, a very liturgical, non-expressive church. It was very serious, no clapping, no excitement, not even when someone got baptized. It looked, I, I don't know why people were so upset when people got baptized. It looked like they were just so straight-faced. It looked like most people got weaned on a pickle when you were sitting in church. Like nobody told their face that they were supposed to be happy that Jesus actually saved them from their sins. Man, don't, don't wean yourself on a pickle. You can be happy when somebody comes to Christ. Verse 7, he puts it this way then. He says, I tell you, this is Jesus now talking and kind of telling us about this parable a little more. He says, I tell you in the same way. There will be more joy in heaven over, say it with me, one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. I think right here is proof that Jesus actually had the spiritual gift of sarcasm because he said, they, oh, they don't need repentance, right? What, what he's really saying is like, they don't think they need repentance because they think they already have it all figured out. In their own minds, they're already good to go. They have what they need, but in reality, they don't. They need Jesus' saving grace just as much as the tax collectors and the sinners do. So my question for this portion to you now, it's going to be one we're going to see a lot today. Who is your one more? Who in your life, in your community, in your workplace, in your family, needs to experience the love and grace of God? Today, we should be intentional about reaching out to those who have yet to know Jesus, showing them that the way to the shepherd is the way that will lead them to safety and to eternal life. So that's the parable of the lost sheep. And like I said, Jesus is now just going to move right into the next one. No transition, no nothing. But we're going to look at the lost coin. And it's going to point us to diligently searching for the one more. Diligently searching for the one more. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. 
to get the picture of the lost coin here. It starts out saying, or what woman who has 10 silver coins? Okay, we, we got in for about five words and we got to stop already, right? There's so much right here. Each of these silver coins would have represented in that day about a day's wage, Right? In the first people, people or in the first century, people used to live day by day by day. So the fact that she's got ten of these things stacked up means that she had some in the bank. Right? Also, there, there's another thought here too. Also, a lot of commentators think that this could have been her dowry or her marriage money that she was that she was given. So it kind of represents her future family or her hopes or her dreams, those kind of things as well. He says, or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. Now that little phrase there, search carefully, um, in some other translation actually says, seek diligently. And what that literally means in the Greek means that she actually tears up the entire house. Right? It's not like she just turned on a light, did a little sweep and looked under the couch. Kind of like when your kids lose something and that's how I search for something. They're like, Dad, I can't find this. I'm like, oh, okay, it's not there. It must be gone forever. Right? It's, it's not like that. That's not the kind of search. No, they search like mamas. Right? They start flipping the cushions over. They're moving the couch outside all to look for little brother bear. Uh, you're, you're taking the mattress. You're flipping that over. You're looking, where could this thing have gone? She is shaking the house in Entirely, And she is turning this house upside down just to find this one coin. Why? Because it's worth it to her to find this one coin. Because this coin holds value. This coin holds value to her. She is willing to do the hard work, tear everything up, and then put it back together just to find the one coin. Do you see this, this story? It's not about coins. It's a parable about people. This here is Jesus saying, hey, I'm willing to leave the throne room of heaven and come to earth and then turn the world upside down just to find you. So let me ask you, are you willing to turn your house and your life upside down for the one more? Are you willing to be uncomfortable, to be on this kind of mission that Jesus was? Because honestly, I, I think looking at the American church today, I think most of us would say not really, if we're being truthful. I mean, yeah, I'm cool with it as long as it, well, doesn't cost me time, doesn't cost me money, and doesn't cost me my comfort. Then you can do whatever you want. But this woman here, she was willing to disrupt her entire life to find the one more because the one more was so extremely valuable to her. What are you, what am I, what are we willing to disrupt in our own comfortable life so that Jesus could save one more person? You know, maybe you have some extra clothes. Maybe you've got some extra food or money or an extra vehicle, something that would just bless the socks right off of someone. Are you willing to go all out or without for the one more? Right? Maybe you keep avoiding that phone call that's coming in because you know that, man, that person's going to take over an hour just to get to one point. 
but that's my precious time. But really what this person just needs is someone to listen, someone to be a friend. Right? This is the stuff that Jesus is talking about here. This is the stuff Jesus says here is, are, are, are you willing to turn the world upside down for the sake of one more? Are you willing to go without so that somebody has the chance to meet Jesus? Are you willing to drive that older car or truck? I know you're due for a new one, so am I. But maybe we can keep driving this one for a couple years. Two or three more years so that somebody can hear about Jesus Christ and then walk the streets of gold forever. That's the kind of thing he's talking about here. You see, the, the woman who lost her coins, she refuses to leave things the way they are. She refuses to go on without that coin. But the religious leaders who were loaded, right, they were the rock stars in their day, they're probably like, it's just one coin. Get over it. Don't worry about it. It's one coin. Why are you going to jack up your whole world just for one more? Man, aren't you glad this morning that Jesus didn't say, you know what? Heaven looks pretty full. I don't think we need one more. We'd all be really screwed if that happened. And there'd be no reason to sit here this morning. No, the rest of us would be done for. So what I'm asking you today is, is what's it worth to you? What's it worth to be on mission for the one more? Because here's the thing, man. Most of us that know the people who are far away from God, they're actually really close to us. They're our fathers, our mothers, our sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, co-workers, maybe some of our very best friends. But what's it worth to you? Because all of us have that someone or that something that we would risk everything for. You know, oftentimes I tell our kids that, hey, Quinn, Raddick, I would do anything for you guys to keep you safe. I'd do anything for you. And my, my uh, daughter, Quinn, she's going to be five in a couple weeks now. Uh, pray for us in that, by the way. Uh, she, I think she's five going on 14, so that'll be, that'll be good. But when I tell her, I say, Quinn, I love you no matter what. And I'd do anything to keep you safe. She's now gotten to the point where she starts asking me questions like, all right, I'm going to make sure you're not lying to me because we're working on that, right? Lying's bad. So she starts quizzing me. She's like, dad, would you fly to the moon for me? I said, baby, I would steal a rocket from Elon Musk and join the Space Force if I have to, <laughs> to go to the moon for you. She's like, daddy, would you beat up all the monsters that are, that are around for me? I said, sweetheart, I'm going to give those monsters summer teeth. Some are over there and some are over there. That's what I'd do for you. And she looks at me, she's like, would you, would you even walk through fire for me? I said, oh yeah, I would walk through fire for you. Now listen, does this make me unique as a dad? No. Of course not, because every one of you dads, every one of you mamas out there, uh, you uncles, you grandparents, you aunties, every single one of us would walk through fire to rescue our kid if we thought that they were in danger. Check this out. Jesus literally walked through fire in hell to rescue me and you. He walked through it all just for me and you. And if you're a Jesus follower today, this is the same thing he calls us to do. And sadly, there are so many church people today who wouldn't even cross the road to bring someone a meal and share them the gospel because they're a sinner or a tax collector. 
That is what he is talking about here. Then he goes on in verse 9. He says, when this gal finds her coin, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin that I lost. And Jesus then breaks it down again for us. He says in verse 10, I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over, over one sinner who repents. So I'm going to ask you again now in light of this context, who is your one more? Who is your one more? Whose life seems to be hidden and unseen from God's light, just like this lost coin was? Who needs to know that you would turn everything in the world upside down for them just so that they know that they are loved by God and that they have a seat at the table? Today, we can be fervent in our prayers and in our actions, trusting that God will use us to bring that valuable soul into his kingdom. And then we get to a very familiar story. I'm sure one that we've all heard before or we've all uh, somewhat know a little bit about. But it's the story of the prodigal son embracing the one more. Embracing the one more. Jesus goes on to tell this parable. But honestly, as, as we're reading the parable and as we do Bible study on this thing, it's called the parable of the prodigal son, but I don't think that that's the best title for it. You know, I just read a book by uh, Tim Keller. He's one of my favorite authors, one of my favorite pastors to, to listen to. But he wrote a book called The Prodigal God. And in it, he defines this word prodigal. He looks at what it really means. And it means recklessly extravagant or having spent everything. Other Bible scholars and commentators, they say that the word prodigal also means giving on a lavish scale. The lavish one is the story is not the kid who squanders everything of his dad's. No, the lavish one here is the father that throws this epic party for his boy after his boy just spit in his face. So let's look at the lavishing of the father in this story. So he, that's Jesus, also said a man had two sons. Now, now remember, he's talking to two groups of people here, right? He's talking to the religious people and the rebellious people. And he goes on to say in verse 12, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that is coming to me. What he's talking about here is his inheritance, right? By the way, this is a total rejection of the father. He's saying, Dad, you're dead to me, right? That's honestly what our sin does to God the Father, Right? Our sin, it's not a little mistake. It's not just this little hiccup of our morality. No, it's, it's a rejection of the Father saying, I would rather do this than follow you. And so he says, give me what's coming to me. And here's what the dad does. He divides the property between them. Now, this is how you know it's a Jesus story. Because if I said, Dad, I hate you. I think you're dumb. You're dead to me. Give me what's coming to me. He'd look at me, start taking his belt off. He said, I'll give you what's coming to you. You want to see what's coming to you? Like, that's, that's what I would have got. So this is how you know it's a Jesus story. Because he doesn't do that. Right? This kid's dad, he just says, okay. I'm sure heartbroken. I'm sure ripped apart. 
But he says, okay, and he gives him his share of the inheritance. Verse three, uh, 13 says, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had, all of this new inheritance of his, and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Now, again, if you're hearing this in the context of a first century Jewish person, you would go, oh, not pigs. That is as bad as it gets. That is terrible because an Orthodox Jewish boy who came from a rich, wealthy family who owned land, this would now be the lowest of the lows. He has now went and hit rock bottom. He is at the bottom of the totem pole. Verse 16 says, He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one would give him anything. Church, this is the pathway of rebellion. When you rebel against the authority of the Father, when you get out from under the obedience to the Father, rebellion always, it starts out feeling like, oh, this is freedom. This is great. But it always leads to death and to bondage. How many stories do we have to read about on the news of these famous rich people who now are on their seventh marriage? who are now have claimed bankruptcy three or four times, who have now lost everything because they're trying to fill that hole in their lives that only Jesus Christ can fill. The first few days of this kid's trip, he's, he's partying like a rock star, man. He gets whatever he wants. He goes to whatever party he wants. He drinks whatever he wants, sleeps with whoever he wants, and then eventually he squanders it all away. And that path, it does lead to somewhere. And then one day you finally wake up and you just look at yourself. You're like, how did I even get to this point in my life? How did I even get here? Some of us this morning struggle with alcohol. Right? It started, with, it started out as fun, didn't it? I mean, the first time you have a couple drinks, you had some beers at a high school party, and everybody thought you were cool because you could drink so much so fast. You're like, wow, this is awesome. Today, it's not so awesome, is it? It's not so awesome today now when it, that can, that bottle has just such a grip on your life and you can't let go. You know, some of us started taking drugs, right? It felt cool. Man, it felt great. I, I feel good. This path can't lead anywhere but to a good time until it lands you in the slammer and lands you at the end of yourself. Right? Maybe we're somebody who is looking for a few pictures online. And now it's killing your marriage because you are in bondage to just one more. This guy was a rock star. This kid was the rock star, but now he's hit rock bottom. The crazy thing is here, though, it's actually the grace of God that leads him to rock bottom. It's actually God's grace that leads him there, that leads him there. So the only place that now he has to look is up. How many of us have that story to where we had to hit rock bottom before we're like, fine, God, your way is obviously better than mine. Yeah. Verse 17. 
When he finally came to his senses, oh, there it is. The bell goes off. Finally, the light clicks on. He finally gets to a place where he knows that this is not what life is meant for. He came to his senses and he realized, oh, wait, I'm the problem. It's not everyone else. It's not my low bank account. It's not that I don't have a brand new card. I'm the one who is the problem. And I don't think I can get myself out of this mess. I need someone to do this for me. I need some help because I can't do it myself. And so he's, oh, oh, I have an idea. He probably hates me, but I'm going to go see dad. I'm going to go see what dad can do to help me. And so he goes on to say, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. And so he comes up with a plan. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned er, and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. And so what does he do? He got up. Oops. He got up and he went to his father. You know, there's so many times in scripture where somebody admits that, yeah, I, I have sinned against God. Look at Pharaoh, right? Balaam, like, yeah, I've sinned against God. They say those things, but there's no repentance. They say, yeah, I've sinned against God. They know what they've done, but they're not turning to repent of it. Here, though, we see that the son doesn't only admit his sin, but what does he do? He got up and he starts moving towards the father. It's not enough to just say, yeah, I've sinned. But true repentance takes place at the point that the sinner, like the son here, changes his direction and he starts headed towards the father instead of heading towards the world into hell and damnation. And so I love that small little picture there, that that just two simple words. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with anger, hatred. Hated his kid, said, get off my lawn, right? He's like me when I'm going to be 80, get off my lawn, Shaking my fist. No, it doesn't say that. It says he had compassion. He was filled with it. He ran, he threw his arms around the neck and he started kissing his son. This would have been an act of complete humiliation for the father, by the way. This is a wealthy Orthodox Jewish man pulling up his fancy robe, I'm sure, and running, booking it towards his kid. First century Jews would have been like, no, you don't do that. That kid did you wrong. Actually, according to Levitical law, you can stone your son for what he did to you. That's what he could have done. He would have been ridiculed and humiliated for doing this. But he didn't care. Because he loved his son. Verse 21. And the father said to him, or and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against, so he starts telling this prepared speech, right, that he's got. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, it's like he's not even listening. He's kind of brushing him off, right? Yeah, yeah, whatever. Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with the feast. Because this son of mine was dead 
and he is now alive again. He was lost, and he is now found. So they begin to celebrate. They throw a party for the one who came home. I was reading a commentary by a guy named Marvin Pate. He put all of this into a very simple perspective when he said the depth of the son's repentance is matched only by the depth of the father's love. Wow. Wow, the father's love was so long-suffering. It was patient. He had his eyes on the horizon waiting for his son to come home. We don't know how long the son was gone. Quite a while, I'm sure. The dad didn't tell him, hey, now you have to earn your love for me again. Now you have to prove to me that you're not going to screw me over again. And I will love you only if, or I will love you only when. No, that's not what he says. This was a love that was fully received to the son. And even though the son had brought great shame to his family, the father didn't even care. He was just happy that his one son had returned home. But there's another son in this story. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field. And as he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And so he's summoned, he, he's talking to one of the servants, and he starts questioning them, like, what, what's going on over there? What, what is this loud music blaring from the house? The servant says, oh, your brother is here, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And then check this out. The brother became angry and didn't want to go in. The father saw that, right? So what does he do? The father came out and he started to plead with him. This angry son here, it really represents the Pharisees and the scribes in this story, right? The religious people who were listening to this teaching. The older son was not happy that the brother was so joyfully received. And he starts complaining to his dad because he feels like it's an insult to his own obedience and faithfulness. Like, dad, I've been here the whole time. I've done everything you've wanted. And this jack wagon gets to come home and just have a party thrown for him? What the older son is doing is he's throwing out the it's not fair card. Right? People start saying things like this, or I'm sorry, people start saying things like this when we have undealt bitterness in their hearts. The older brother was so unappreciative of what he already did have. Right? Every day he had the father's company. Every day he had a roof over his head. And every day he had a good job to go to. The father's love was all around him every day. But he felt like he needed to start complaining about his life to compare it to his screw-up brother to see how much better he thought he was. F.B. Morris put it this way. He said, the proud and the self-righteous always feel that they are not treated as well as they deserve. And he goes on here. The father is now talking to the son. He says, son, you are always with me, and, I, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He is lost, and now he is found. The older son seemed like he obeyed his father. But he really didn't understand the father's love, did he? 
Right? He's just like the religious leaders who got mad at Jesus for welcoming in tax collectors and sinners. This son teaches us that even if we are in the Father's house, we might not really understand or know how much he loves us. And we may be just trying to earn his love by being obedient. We may be trying to earn this love by working harder, but when in reality, he just wants us to come and be a part of what he's already done. The work has been finished. We just need to be a part of the finished work. And so, wrapping up now, who is your one more? It's a powerful question, isn't it? It's powerful. It challenges us to think about the people in our lives who need to experience God's love, his grace, his restoration, and his reconciliation. It calls us to be intentional in seeking out those who have drifted away from God or who have never even experienced God's love before in the first place. Just as the shepherd left the 99 for the one sheep, we are encouraged to leave our comfort zones and reach out to the hurting, to the lost, to those who are feeling disconnected from God. We are called to be instruments of God's love and his compassion, reflecting that heart of Jesus. Instead of judging others or holding their past against them, thinking that, oh, that people, those people can't change. That, that person's never going to change. They're the worst. We are to extend the same love and forgiveness that Christ has shown us. Just as the father in the parable of the prodigal son welcomed his wayward son home with open arms, we are to offer acceptance, understanding, and empathy to those who have made mistakes and bad choices. Because guess what? So have we. We have all made bad choices and made mistakes. Because we have all been someone else's one more at some point in life. So this question again, who is your one more? It challenges us to be ambassadors of Christ's love. Actively seeking out those who need to experience that restoration and reconciliation with God. Right? They don't need extra judgment upon them. They, what they need is embracing with a genuine love. And we can be those instruments today. So let us be vessels of grace, bringing the joy of redemption to those who are lost, but then rejoicing in the transformative power of God's love in their lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be able to just come to you in prayer this morning. We thank you for these teachings from Jesus as recorded in Luke 15. God, we are reminded of your heart which rejoices over every lost soul that is found. God, your, your love and your grace are just beyond measure. And we are humbled by the depth of your compassion for each and every one of us. God, today we seek your guidance and your wisdom as we, as we reflect on these parables. We ask for a deeper understanding of this question, who is our one more? God, please let this question just resonate in our hearts and stir a sense of purpose within us to reach out to those who need you. God, we long to have a heart just like the good shepherd, just like you, Jesus. 
Help us to be compassionate and proactive in seeking those who are lost and leading them back to you. God, give us the strength and diligence of the woman who was searching for the lost coin. And God, help us to be as compassionate and as forgiving as the father was to the prodigal son. God, in everything that we say and do, we ask that you would be lifted on high and be glorified. Let our lives be a testimony to you and to your grace. And may we rejoice together when just one more is brought into your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today at Journey. God bless you guys. Uh, we will see you next week. Thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.